0: I'm Olympic and world champion diver Laura Wilkinson and this is the pursuit of gold podcast each week we are unlocking the physical mental emotional and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports today's guest turned pro at the incredibly young age of 14 and received a lot of hate and backlash for going against the grain With his family as his team, they weathered the storm of doubt and stayed the course, continuing to follow their instincts and scientific techniques. Having been coached by his father from the beginning, using a unique training style called Ultra Short Race-Based Training, or USRPT, Michael Andrew has broken over 100 national age group swimming records, he has smashed junior world records, and he has won world championship gold. In 2016, he just missed making the Olympic team by .64 seconds. Today he joins us from a training camp in Turkey with his professional swim team and he goes into detail on his unique road to success. We talk about the new pro swimming circuit, how he's constantly thinking outside the box and trying different things, how faith has played a really important role in his life and how rewiring your brain changes your habits. The mental game is one of my absolute favorite topics too. And if that's something that you wanna dive deeper into, I've created three easy ways for you to learn more about mental training. Just go visit laurawilkinson.com learn. I'll also link to it in the show notes, but at laurawilkinson.com learn, you'll find an option that's right for you from just dipping your toe in the water with a freebie that contains five smart strategies for confidence All the way to a complete, comprehensive, step-by-step program, including coaching from yours truly, for the athlete that's ready to take their game to the next level. But before we get into the episode, please just take a quick minute to subscribe, rate, and review us. This really helps us continue to bring on these awe-inspiring guests like Michael Andrew. I really believe that there's gold in your future. So let's dive on into this episode. Michael Andrew, I am so happy to have you on the Pursuit of Gold podcast today. Thank you for joining us all the way from Turkey.
1: Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm stoked.
0: Well, so I know we were talking about a little bit before we started recording, but but tell us what you're doing in Turkey right now, because most of us are still kind of coming out of quarantine. So, <laughs> how did you end up in Turkey?
1: No, man, it's a huge blessing. Um, it's kind of weird. Every other day, I get a notification of all the countries that are getting blocked and not able to travel and. So awesome that we're here. So we are in Antalya, Turkey at uh, the Glorious Sports Arena. So just incredible facility. And I'm here with basically my coach and part of my team, my my pro team on a little bit of a training trip. So we're getting ready for our uh, International Swim League season, which will start in sometime middle of October in Budapest. And so this is kind of our tune up because as... Most of the world knows the last couple of months have been (laughs) a mess, to put it lightly. A a
0: little different, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's just been a nightmare. And so even training at home, it's been tough to get pool space and getting in the gym. And so we've had an opportunity to come out here and just have everything catered for, focus 100% on training. And it's been really nice to kind of kick things back into gear and get focused.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Well, did you have to quarantine going there?
1: No. So it was actually crazy. We we didn't have any sort of quarantine either coming in or going out, I don't believe. And we didn't have to do any PCR tests, like getting ready for the league. We had to do all sorts of tests and stuff going into it. But throughout the travel process, of course, there's, you know, you wear your mask and you sanitize and you, you do your due diligence to stay as far away from everything as possible. But yeah, I was surprised at how easy it was, really. And we feel like almost where we are in the facility, it's it's kind of like we're in our own little bubble anyway. So it's just the athletes. We're all together. We eat at our stations like all the employees that work here are dishing the food for us. We don't have to touch it or anything. So it's really eliminates all that. But it's been, yeah, it's been really nice just to get away (laughs) from all the crazy.
0: Oh, that, no, that, yeah, that's awesome. I I bet it feels almost a little bit more normal, like just a training, just a normal training camp, right? Oh,
1: a hundred percent. Yeah. We wear a mask way less than we had to in the States.
0: (laughs) That's nice. Well, what about when you, when you come back and then you're going to turn around and go to Budapest, what do you have to quarantine? Because you're going to be there for quite a while, right?
1: Yeah. So we have about seven weeks of, uh, time in in Budapest and so we do we have a pretty strict um quarantine so as we prepare for that we have to do two PCR tests so i think it's like the nose swab which i'm a little nervous for because i have not done one yet heard it's yeah. not the
0: best feeling <laughs> yeah, i haven't either but i've heard some yes
1: <laughs> yeah no. so i i saw a thing about uh, i think Ryan Reynolds posted something about getting a nose swab done and it says it goes just deep enough to tickle your childhood membranes so and i'm like <laughs> I don't know if I I don't know if I'm ready for that.
0: Um that's really well put. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it's crazy. So we have to do two tests going and they both have to of course come back negative before we can fly to Budapest. Okay. And then once we're there, we can't actually train for 2 days. So we have 48 hours of being quarantined in our hotel room alone before we can do anything. So it's going to be an interesting journey for sure. But uh, I'm just grateful that we get to race finally.
0: Yeah, I am I am too. I'm glad you guys get to travel too because I've heard I've heard it, there's a lot of places where the US is still banned. And, and I've got friends who are winter Olympians that are going to like New York for like Lake Placid and they have to quarantine for two weeks. And yeah, in Australia, they're quarantined for two weeks before they go to their training center. Like, yeah, so. Yeah,
1: I know Australia has been incredibly sick. So actually right now, most of the Australians in our pro league, so where we're getting ready to race in Budapest, They've had to pull out and mostly because the, the Federation has kind of backed them up against the wall and uh, force them into doing so. And it's incredibly sad because these athletes, obviously, they want the opportunity to race, to earn some money and their Federation out of fear of this pandemic and the control, I guess, just takes away from them, which is absurd. But yeah, no, Australia has been very strict on all that.
0: Yeah, it's it's a tough road. Well, I I want to hear more about this um international swimming league. Like tell me cuz this is relatively new, right? Like I, I'd love to hear more about it and I know you're on the is it the New York Breakers?
1: New York Breakers. Yeah. So, I I wear many hats on the New York Breakers. <laughs> um it's interesting we so it's a very much a family thing. So, my entire swim career, we've always been very family oriented. My mom's always been a part of it. My dad's always been my coach. And so we're very tight throughout it all. And we've been blessed with this pro team where my mom's and well, all three of us are co-owners of New York Breakers. Oh, wow. Cool. Um, My mom is the operating GM, general manager. My dad's the assistant coach. And then I am a team captain, owner and athlete of New York Breakers. And so we're very heavily invested into the International Swim League. And so essentially what it is, is I guess a very easy way to put it is the International Swimming League is basically an NBA or NFL type league for swimming. And so the goal behind it, and this is, uh, so Konstantin Grigorishin is a Ukrainian billionaire, has a heart for swimming. His son actually swam and went to Cal. And so you think of him as a, a swim dad. He loves swimming and he saw an opportunity as a brilliant entrepreneur, seeing like, man, everybody swims like it's a household sport, but why is there no league, and why is there no opportunity for these athletes to earn way beyond their potential? Um, you know, and it's sad when you see these Olympians who win gold medals and have their ten minutes on TV, but can never really sustain and build that into a career because there's just not enough viewership. And so that's where his brainchild of the International Swim League kind of came to be. And so we had our first season last year, went incredible. And then obviously coming into this 2020 year, season two was going to be massive. Coming right off of the Olympic Games, we're going to go into a full couple of months of racing and traveling the world and viewership and things like that. But obviously with COVID, things were quite set back. And I guess the idea now is just to create this shortened, condensed league throughout this year, but build into where... Swimming is on TV regularly so that people can get to know the athletes, get to know the personalities, get brands involved, having just, we actually, this is a very exciting thing, but the ISL, the league just signed with CNB, or no, uh, CBS, Mm -hmm. CBS Sports for a multi-year deal where we now have a platform and a, a home for ISL to be aired So it's really, really amazing just to be kind of at the forefront of this. Um, And this league really just gives athletes an opportunity beyond the Olympics. And it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next couple of years, because I definitely think this is the way of the future in terms of uh, just earning potential and opportunity for athletes.
0: Yeah, kind of an evolution of the sport too. Like, so how how does it work? Is it like the NFL or NBA where you're drafted or you're contracted into a specific team, and then you like kind of have these dual meet type things? Or how does it how does it work? What's the structure like?
1: So, like our team, so how we work is we have we have our season leading up to the the competition months, Um, and inside that timeframe, each team has an allotment of money. So obviously, you have a salary cap for your athletes. And you basically go out and you recruit your athletes. I think in the future, it'll be interesting to see if anything changes. Like I would love to see it where like maybe, I don't know, a third of the team, like your top scoring athletes go into a pool and we have like a draft day, kind of like the NFL does where there's a little more chance, a little more risk and more money on the line for the athletes, but also just this kind of like factor of ooh, where's where are they going to go like what's going to happen yeah it also divvies up the teams quite a bit and so you see now early on in its early stages like it's it's very young and so there's there's mistakes that will be made and things like that but some teams and i think this more goes towards where the athletes have to change their thinking and become a little more professional and not just following where all their friends go and things like that right but it'll be interesting to see over time how that changes. But yeah, so each team basically recruits their athletes uh, and then come season, because there's so many teams in the league, we don't really compete one-on-one. We typically have like a four team dual meet. So for example, last year it was New York breakers, London roar, Cali condors and um, LA current. And we would compete against each other. And in each dual meet, Whoever scored the most points would then kind of add up along the season and compete with the other teams that are having their own dual meets. And so it's interesting because it changes the concept of swimming where whenever you go and watch a swim meet, typically athletes aren't really racing to touch the wall first. They're racing for a world record or a time or a qualification cut or things like that. And the goal with the league is to really eliminate this idea of times. Of course, world records will be recognized and that will never change because swimmers like that's what we're always looking towards. But it adds this fun factor to no matter where you are in your season of swimming. And this is, I think, what makes the ISL work any time of year is the goal is just to touch the wall before the team next to you. So it creates a lot of drama, a lot of excitement and it forces people to, you know, from a commercial perspective, root for a team like you would in an NFL team. It's like, I want these guys to touch first and get the points for the team. And it also makes it really fun, you know, racing relays and it changes the dynamic as an athlete because you don't have to worry about swimming fast. You just got to beat the guy next to you. Yeah. So it's, it's an incredible event. Swimming is a pretty boring sport, if I say so myself. Like <laughs> it's very... If you don't have someone like if you aren't invested in the person that's racing or part of swimming, it's hard to go and sit on a bleacher for four hours just to watch them for two minutes. And so ISL basically changes that all. And it takes all of the events, all the exciting events, condenses it into two hours of extreme action, the fastest athletes in the world going head to head scoring points. And money's on the line. So it's it's really an incredible, uh, really, I guess, franchise now. And I'm, I'm excited to just see how it grows. And and the fact that we get to be a part of it is huge.
0: Yeah. So is CBS CBS Sports, right? Are they then yes. going to air it this this year, like the one that's going on in October?
1: That's actually a great question. I would imagine so. Yes. I haven't read all the details into it. I tend to stay away from all the GM type stuff. But yeah, I, I believe CBS will be... I mean, I would hope so. <laughs> if they've signed a multi-year deal, it'd be odd if they weren't airing it this year. But yeah, so I think this year they'll it'll probably be aired on CBS Sports. And then of course we have our live streams and things like that, but it's it'll be huge because now really this is the only premier swim event of the year with the Olympics being out, all the World Cups being out, any other sort of international competition just is not happening. So it really, it sets ISL up in a way that You know, it wouldn't have maybe taken off as much had the Olympics had gone on. So it would be cool to see how the viewership changes. And also now that we've got a partner like CBS, how this leverages it all, Uh, of course, because we have so many millions more homes that we'll be in.
0: Right, and I, I think it's really exciting because people are just wanting sports. I think there's people are craving that oh, right absolutely. now, and so we'll we'll make sure to kind of connect with you and get those live stream links and add them to the show notes, um, so that people can yeah make sure to follow you and, and see all this excitement. That's awesome.
1: Appreciate it. Yeah, that's gonna be one.
0: Well now, okay, you are really known, Michael, for um you went pro super early. You were like, what, 14, like the youngest swimmer ever to do that? Um, and you've you've been criticized on and off throughout your career for doing things very differently. Like your you and your dad kind of came up with this ultra short race pace training or USRPT. Um, and I know you had a, got a lot of flack at the beginning because it was so different. And now you've got people who are buying into it and want to do it as well. So kind of take us through a little bit for the people who maybe don't know your journey as well, what that experience was like for you.
1: Yeah, man, we could take the whole hour talking about that. <laughs> um, it's been a crazy journey. It's, it's funny to look back at it and think we're still kind of getting started because um, we've definitely lived almost an entire lifetime of sports just in terms of the things we've been through.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So for a lot of people that don't know, like we, my parents are both South African born and raised. I was born in the U S and so U S citizen by birth. Thank goodness. Uh, very grateful for <laughs> that. And, and the incredible opportunities we have here in the U S. But um, as I started to swim, I became very competitive, fell in love with the sport. And my dad grew up swimming in South Africa and he just, he never really believed in the way things were done. And so he and my mom sought out to find the smartest way to do things or, or not even to find the smartest way to do things, but just find a different way, like see what, what's going to work for us. And this is kind of where our, our like ideology and like the way we think of things really in everything we do is like, if it's not, if everyone's doing it one way, like why shouldn't we explore something else that may be a little smarter or to some seem simple, but obviously like for us, there's so much proof and data that comes from just following our body and listening to things like that and so eventually we stumbled upon Dr. Brent Rushall and his uh, methodology of USRPT started swimming really fast you know race pace training just like breaking records consistently and and moving on and a lot of people had some interesting things to say because we weren't following the typical route um we weren't really doing it the the club way. We weren't following club, high school, college, then maybe go pro. And, and as we continued to have success and win things and break records, we, we got a lot of attention. We got a lot of media attention, especially because every time I broke a record, Swim Swam or another swim outlet would post about it. And so people kind of got tired of hearing our names constantly. <laughs> it was really interesting to see. And, and there was actually, there was a season where it definitely affected us. And this was when I went pro. And so when I went pro at 14, signed with a small company, there was really no money involved, but what was on the line and what was being given away was huge in most people's minds. And and that was that I couldn't go and compete for a high school and I couldn't compete NCAA. And in the United States, that is like the penultimate, apparently. Right. You know, and, and my parents being very foreign and in thought was like, well... Why would we do that if we don't believe in the way they train? We don't believe in the all the negative things that come from those experiences. And like, why not just do it differently? So we did and we stuck to our guns and we figured it out. And um, we didn't fall off the bandwagon like a lot of people had said. And it was really interesting to see over the years how people's perception of us had changed because we were consistent in who we were and what we stood for. And a lot of that was being very family oriented loving the sport purely for, for the joy of it and knowing that God has given me a gift and that this is an opportunity for me to draw closer to him and closer to others. And then constantly throughout our our career, we've used this as an opportunity to share with other people and to educate. And you know, if anyone that wants to learn about how we do things, like we're happy to tell. And uh, it's been really cool now to see kind of the... So the comment section is a very unhealthy place. Often.
0: <laughs> yes, it is. Um,
1: And we, we used to get excited um, because we we would read it and I would read it sometimes. And it was, there were seasons where it's like really not a good idea to be reading it. But now it seems like whenever we look at it, we have more supporters than we ever had haters, really. It's just cool to see how, how faithful, almost faithful God has been through that in, in us kind of sticking to who we are and not backing away from it. And that he's almost, he's blessed this path, this journey, this career, because we realized that the purpose is greater than just swimming fast. But that was a lot. And that's kind of like a very broad spark notes version of <laughs> my swim careers. Basically, I just, we started doing things differently, swam fast, went pro at 14, dealt with a lot of hate, came through it, continue to go. And now it feels like my career is just beginning. <laughs>
0: at at twenty one, right? Are you twenty? At twenty
1: one, I'm twenty one. Yeah,
0: yeah. So it, I mean, that's a seven year journey. That's still been a long journey. And I, I kind of want to dig in a little bit there because you said there were so many haters, and you were so young. Like, how did you not? Like, did that affect you? And how did you get through that? I mean, I know you guys were faithful and you stuck to your guns and all of that, but when you're in the nitty gritty and you're in that, like, how? How does that affect you personally? And how do you continue to walk forward in that faithful journey, even though it feels like the world thinks you're crazy?
1: Yeah, it's really tough. Um, For me, I've been super blessed with a family that, that has supported me from the beginning. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have our seasons of miscommunication and and anger and whatever wait wait
0: wait you guys aren't perfect no right exactly I know (laughs) that sounds funny but like people see social media or they see how things are portrayed and they they forget that like in between the pictures in between the articles in between the things like real life happens so it's I I know I, I say that like joking but it's really refreshing to know that like even this great family dynamic you're gonna have real struggles too
1: oh yeah oh no I mean and you would be shocked at some of the, the arguments and the things we have, because it is, it's a lot of what's shared. Like we don't share the, the ugly,
0: Yeah, you know? nobody wants to do that. Yeah. <laughs> no. That's
1: the social dilemma. And so, but yeah, no, we, um, as a family kind of knew that we were going to stick with it.
0: We kind of just there for each other. Was it just kind of like you guys having to stay tight together?
1: Yeah. So, so when I went pro at 14, what really happened was a lot of people misunderstood why are we doing what we did? And actually, they started to say really nasty things about my parents and about myself and that I was basically put in this bubble and they were trying to control my career and take my money and earn from me and like all this weird stuff. And so we eventually had to get to a point where we just didn't read anything. And that helped for a season. But we realized that didn't actually solve anything. And so we eventually got to a point where we knew that, it was up to us to listen to the voices in our community. And we, we have been very blessed with like great spiritual mentors and friends in, in the swimming world and outside the swimming world who have been able to speak truth and life uh, and love into our like journey. And so we had to make a conscious decision to hear that over all of the white noise that was coming from people. We had no, I like people who don't know anything about us who we don't know and really have no, uh, no input. You know, it's really interesting how, you know, everyone's a critic and everyone can say what they want, but they're judging from a very warped picture. Like you really don't understand everything from one article you read,
0: right? You're making a lot of assumptions. Yeah. A lot
1: of assumptions. And so we had to understand that really to overcome that eventually. And just over time, you know, things eventually changed and we stuck around and all that. But it was a lot of it was a faith battle more than anything is just knowing that regardless of what people saying, even if people never changed, because ultimately it's not really, it shouldn't be something that we live for. We don't live to earn man's approval, really. We're here doing what we do to the greatest of our ability, but also to glorify God and what he's given us. And so that was something that was hard, but a lesson that you know, we constantly learned and became more ingrained as time went on.
0: Boom, I think you just mic drop right there and walk away.
1: That's (laughs) so well said and and
0: well learned as an earned experience right there. Yeah, you've got to earn that wisdom, right?
1: Oh yeah, constantly.
0: Well, I love that you guys have been, kind of revolutionary and thinking outside the box. And like you said, doing what you think is the best approach or what you you collectively as a family think is the best. And, and this year has been no exception to that. You know, I know since COVID, you've been doing some different things. And I, I saw some things where you were playing a lot more chess and talking about how that strategy really helps you in like how you actually go into a meet and things like that. So tell us a little bit about what you've done since the COVID that has been different on there as well, because I just love the way you think outside the box. I think that's so cool.
1: Oh, thank you. I appreciate that that yeah no we've never been pigeonholed into that elite athlete mindset where it's like you only swim and you don't do anything else because you're afraid of getting hurt so like growing up i always did everything and you know as a pro athlete too i actually i was speaking with a friend of mine the other day and he's an olympian and very good friend of mine and a mentor really and he's like what are you doing wakeboarding you literally have the olympics a few months away you have the isl coming up like you're in the prime of your athletic career. And it's like, why are you going off a ramp in the middle of Turkey? (laughs) I'm like, well, why not? Like life is way too short not to. And so I've had now like six months at home where I've been able to cultivate incredible relationships with my friends, surf a whole lot more, learn how to play a good game of chess. Like a lot of these things have helped my swimming. They've helped me become a, a better man. Uh, stronger athlete. It's also obviously detoxed my brain from that competitive, like oh, yeah. grind all the time. Cause that can be really exhausting and, and quite draining because you know, prior to this, it's been a couple of years, just traveling, going, going, going. And I get to the end of the season. and I think, man, like if I had to list like who my really close friends are, I was like, yeah, I have close friends, but I don't really have meaningful relationships with all of them. And that, I think that's been the biggest thing for me in, in this last season is really getting to connect with the community. And then obviously to when pools and things like that shut down, we turned to alternative methods in order to train. Uh, and that was where we started doing like prone paddling in the ocean. I started spear diving. So like breath control, anything that involves water, like I'm pretty much there, uh, especially cause we live literally 30 second walk from the beach. Like we love spending time in the water and then the other one other sport that I've really taken a keen liking to was volleyball. So I've been playing a ton of beach volleyball with my sister. We're just a random group of guys that we met on the beach. So we've got like, they invited us into their WhatsApp. And I actually still, while I'm here in Turkey, get messages. And I'm like, oh, guys, like, I so wish I could be there to play <laughs> with you. <laughs> but it's just like, man, all those things. I've been kind of refreshing my athletic, like, and I, I just I've done everything like even growing up, I always like my mom thought I would be in some sort of ball sport. I played soccer, we played hockey, played football, basketball, all of it. I was always running around doing backflips on the trampoline, catching balls, throwing this, throwing that. You know, I never want to be the athlete that kind of feels like I have to restrict myself from a lot of the fun things in order to perform, because really it's such a it sounds like a pretty empty existence to me if I was to do that.
0: Yeah, I think, I think you're onto something there. Like when, when you're fulfilled internally too, it it helps you perform physically as well. You know what I mean? So it's like, you, you've got to keep your mind, your mental health and your, you know, your emotions, everything's got to kind of be in check a little bit. And sometimes, like you said, doing things that are different and that, that, that are fun, you know, have fun mm. again. And like, remember how to enjoy sports yeah. and life and that, that shows up in the pool as well, I think for sure.
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, it's, it's something we say kind of jokingly in the swimming community. It's like a happy swimmer is a fast swimmer. And it, it kind of it seems ridiculous, but it's so true. Like if if you're not enjoying what you're doing, like why do it?
0: Right. Exactly. Well, I want to talk about kind of last year and going into this year, because I read some things that were saying maybe twenty nineteen wasn't your best year, but that all of a sudden you showed up right before all the COVID shutdown and you were swimming. Amazing March of like 2020. Like what, what was going on last year to this year that changed, or were you doing something different again? Or what kind of walked me through that? And, and were you just gunning up for the games, I'm sure, at that point?
1: Yeah. So it was really interesting. 2019, it's not that it was a bad year in terms of performance. I think there were a few competitions where I like I missed the mark in terms of what I wanted to achieve. And I think you'll find this with a lot of athletes. And I don't know if this was the case in, in in yours too, as an athlete is like, even when you achieved something, broke a record, won a race or or won a competition, you always felt like there was more, like you always felt like you could do better. And that's what really sets the best apart from the, the great athletes. Um, and so, you know, 2019 was a bit of a, not a wake up call, but just a season of learning. And so we had some great races, some great swims, but I knew there was more. I knew I was capable of more and I felt like I wasn't really uh, setting myself up for the greatest opportunity. And so what I realized, and this was kind of an interesting discovery, but it was at world championships. So I had incredible nationals, qualified for a ton of events, um, won, I think, five or four national titles that year. Really did amazing. I qualified for my first long course, uh, like international level world championships and um, was really amazing. But uh, once I got to Worlds, it was almost like I had already done what I needed to do. And so I, I, it's not that I wasn't like my whole focus was winning medals at Worlds. But what I realized is I I kind of I settled and I was actually I was at a point where I was like, I'm so stoked that I just made this team because now I can kind of breathe And my events were, so I had the 50 50 fly, 50 back, 50 breast, 50 free, and the 100 breaststroke. My only two Olympic events, of course, being the 50 free and the 100 breaststroke, the other three were kind of like the swimming community looks at as real events at a world championships, but not quite legit just because it's not in the Olympics. And so I kind of internalized this thought. Still swam well some some personal best times, but just not really where I needed to be and After coming home, uh really just being super upset with my whole world champs and not thrilled with where it was, and my dad wasn't able to be there as a coach and it was just really interesting season and so what I looked back at was I realized, man, like growing up and at this competition i have i'm the fastest in all four strokes. I was the first athlete to ever make a final in all four fifties of individual stroke. And that was at this world champs. And so I was like, okay, like, what does that mean? And, um, really what it looked like to me was pretty clear that I had to start preparing for some longer races, uh, specifically towards the Olympic distances, uh, making sure obviously they're in the Olympics, but I wanted to push and try to make that 200 IM. So ever since then we started really working towards. It. And so in March, Leading up to this Olympic year, I dropped an incredibly fast time—a 156 uh, middle, I believe—in my 200 IM, and that put me, I think, third or fourth in the world this year, at least leading into it. And this was an event I had hated, like my (laughs) entire career—an event my mom always kind of forced me to do. Like I just never (laughs) loved it, but I finally internalized it, and I was—I was very motivated to just really pushed the envelope knowing I had have been gifted with all four strokes, could pull it up nicely with a bit of endurance training. And then it was interesting to see how all of my other events followed along with it because I had been training more intentionally, more focused toward the games, like really just gunning it. Everything was swimming really well. I was like a 59 one in my hundred breaststroke with a massive error in the finish. So that put me number one in the U S at the time. And so we were, we were ready for the Olympic trials. And then of course, a week later, everything hit the fan and completely shut things down. But, uh, I think that was kind of like looking from 2019 to 2020, that was the big wake up call was realizing that there's more to just swimming in the fifties, maybe a seasonal thing. like, I'll always be a sprinter at heart. Like that is my love and I'll always sprint all four. Like even this ISL season, my focus events are going to be the sprints and, That's kind of who I am. But going into the Olympics, I really 200 IM, 100 breaststroke, 50 free. Those are kind of my events. And I think having that clarity and that really intentional effort towards an event gave me a little bit of extra, uh, just an extra something, knowing that when I'm preparing for this, this is what I'm preparing for. And I think that's important, too, because even looking back at other years that maybe weren't so great, it's pretty obvious to see that, you know, the focus was lost on swimming events that I was just comfortable and easy with and just trying to be good versus like really being like, okay, this is what I'm going for. This is what I'm striving for. And that's why I think it's so important for athletes to have clear goals and things that they're working towards. Otherwise you don't really know what you're working
0: for. Right. Yeah, I've, I've kind of equated that to like looking at a map sometimes. Like you can look at a map and you can just, you can just wander, but if like you want to go somewhere specific and you put that pin on the map and that's where you want to go, then no matter what road you end up on, you know how to like where you need to go to get back there. You know, you've got to have that direction and make sure you're staying on a path that's going to get you to that end point. So yeah, I love that. And I love that it was, it was really nothing physical necessarily that you're doing. It was all about how you were looking at it and changing the focus and being more intentional like intentionality is so huge. I love that.
1: Oh, absolutely. Big time.
0: Can you share with me a little bit about your nutrition now and how that's maybe changed over the years? Because I know you do some of like, it looks like you do the ketone supplements and things like that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really curious as like, I'm an older athlete. I know you're still a young guy, but you know, that's kind of been something that, that my husband and I have been looking more into, like, is that, is that a direction to go? So I'm kind of curious, are you like low carb? What has changed there? Like, yeah. what? Why do you use the ketone supplements? Like, tell me all the things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm just going to start off by I'm the farthest thing from a scientist. So <laughs> if I get some things technically wrong, whoever's listening, yeah, it's all.
0: No worries. You can speak plain English with me because I don't know the science words either. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Perfect. So, no, we, we started experimenting with the ketogenic diet. I think it was late 2018, after maybe late 2017, after my last world junior championships. And this was something like my parents have always kind of been the ones to come up with the really just look into the data and the science behind things. So we tried paleo, we we tried high carb, we've tried keto, and we've gone back and forth. And, you know, we've we've really stuck with it for a season where we let the body adapt and fuel purely off of ketones. And that's where I was fortunate enough to connect with a company called Real Ketones and then use their supplements pretty religiously and as we tested the blood and saw the energy and then all of the benefits that come with it, just from the studies that have been done and then also personal experience, it was really interesting. And just like kind of off the top of my head, a few things. It's like I was able to recover quicker from sessions. I was, my muscles were more cut and shredded as an athlete. I had endurance in each session. I wasn't hungry as often. The portions weren't ridiculous and, I could actually hold my breath longer. So there's this interesting thing wow. um, too, is how your body can use oxygen more efficiently when you are keto adapted. Um, and this is something that we actually learned from the Navy SEALs and some tests they've been doing. And some we have some friends that are pretty involved in that world. And so it's really cool learning about that. Yeah. Yeah, because everything we do, even with our training, is very data driven, and then we like to test it ourselves. And so it's been amazing. Like we love keto this last season. Like I haven't been strict keto. And even right now, I think if I was to test my body would not be in ketosis. And I don't know if it's something that I will get into until after this ISL season, because my fear now is because I haven't been in ketosis for a few months, will I have to go through a keto flu again? Or will my body adapt naturally or pretty quickly because it's already been there. And that's, that's, one fear, because as you do adapt to burning ketones, and I'll get into a little bit, just kind of what it looks like is, um, you know, it takes time. It takes a couple of weeks and you, your energy drops, your performance drops.
0: I've heard it can last a lot longer than a couple of weeks, like more like months.
1: It can. And I was fortunate. And I think a lot of it too can be mental. You know, I've always kind of been the person to challenge myself to... <laughs> I mean, not in an unhealthy way, but be like, okay, like if they say it takes four weeks to adapt, I'm going to do it in two. <laughs> and and so we just like dive head first. No, it was really interesting. I think there was a lot, I mean, in two, like, we just know how powerful our brain is. But, um, you know, the whole goal behind the keto movement, at least for me as a sprint athlete, was how do I still get that quick burst in energy, but sustain through some of my longer events and longer sessions and then use the benefits of being keto adapted to recover quickly uh, and then just be a healthier athlete overall. We use a product called UCAN. So UCAN is a sponsor of mine and they create this super starch, which basically acts as a carbohydrate. It is a carbohydrate, but there's something know about the structure of the carb when it's being digested and converted into energy by your body doesn't spike your insulin like a carb- like a regular carbohydrate would. And so this is just a theory of mine and something that we've kind of tested and used uh, like tested blood and training and things like this, where I can eat a keto diet, be fully keto adapted, and then use the UCAN super starch before a training session. So essentially I'm getting this quick burst in energy from the carbohydrates. And then once that carb source burns out, Naturally, my body will then start fueling off of the ketones that are really available through the fats and the things that I've been eating.
0: So, you kind of go right back into ketosis.
1: Exactly. So, I never That's kick out reason. of ketosis, which has been crazy. And so, for us, it's been really cool because, you know, typically you look at the keto world and it's mostly for people that are wanting to either lose weight or iron distance athletes like marathon runners, cyclists, people in those worlds. And I am. Like the complete opposite.
0: See, I'm more like you, because I'm I'm the quick twitch explosive, like I need 100%. to jump. Yeah. And so that's this is why I'm fascinated that I thought you might be doing this. So keep keep talking. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I mean, and that's it's it's pretty basic. Like it's really interesting because it, you know, a lot of people think that it needs to be super complicated. But that's just kind of our very brief analysis of it. Um, in terms of how we've kind of used UCAN and then our ketone just that's created through our our body to fuel so it is it's something i really want to get back to but it is hard it's hard to maintain especially in this at least where we are in terms of swimming like when it comes to traveling and eating at hotels and even when things are set up by leagues and competitions like the typical athlete diet which i think is a complete joke is just you get your pasta, you get your chicken, right? That's it. You can have rice and all this. And It's like, man, like, no, like, can we just get some other stuff? <laughs> and, um, you know, with keto, it's tough because you really want to find those clean, healthy foods, like your good fats, your avocados, things like that. So it's hard, uh, and definitely maybe a little more expensive, but it's ultimately worth it if you can do it consistently. And, and we actually, it's, um, so my dad being South African, We have like a lot of South African treats and stuff. And so one of them is biltong. So it's like dried meat, so jerky, where you can make the meat super fatty. And so we typically have that and we travel with it. And so we use things like that to try and supplement in a way. And of course, you've got your ketone supplements where you can essentially be eating ketone esters and ketone... um, Powders and drinks that will really help you get into ketosis, but it's definitely not, I think, as efficient as eating a fully ketogenic diet.
0: Gotcha. Well, that's cool. Thank you for like blowing my mind with that. That's really that's kind of neat because I haven't gotten to talk to a lot of people about that. That's neat. Well, a- along with technology and and training techniques and stuff, you're you're kind of on the cutting technology with or cutting edge of technology, I should say with your sport too. Like, I mean, I saw an IG um, post where you were do, like, you were kind of attached by cords and the strap around your waist and you were using med balls and like throwing them and simulating <laughs> starts and things like that. And yeah. I've seen you with like bands around your arms and, and all that kind of thing. So do you just, do you enjoy being kind of like the the human science experiment? You know, like are, do you, are you guys always trying things? Like how, how long of a time do you give something to figure out if it's working for you or not? Kind of, I guess, how often are you you trying these new things?
1: We're always looking for, not in a way to look for an edge, but we're always looking for what is, it's kind of like listening to the body. So what does the body need in this moment? And typically like with the, for example, like the med balls and the start um, video that we were doing, this was in Thailand. I think it was 2018. Yeah. So it's just before we moved to California, we were doing a bit of a, a world tour. a huge issue we noticed on our starts was I just wasn't getting off quick enough. I was kind of bobbing. And so we're like, man, how do we rewire the brain and change these habits? And so we just kind of looked for everything and and we figured we don't want to just always be jumping off of blocks because sometimes it can get exhausting. You can rip your hands. And so we're like, well, let's, let's kind of make shift something. So we had a friend that had this 40 pro bungee system and we were training outdoors. We're like, Oh, here's a big beam. Let's just try it. And so (laughs) A lot of it's very unscientific, but we look for movements and we listen to the body. And and then also too, just from learning from other people, like we, this is a huge thing. I think it's awesome is when when you get to a certain level in a sport, everybody wants to share something with you. Now, it's not always going to be helpful or beneficial for you, but I think you can always learn something from anyone, regardless of who they are or where they are in a sport. And so we really try, and this is mostly my dad too. It's like when someone emails and says, "Hey, like I was watching Michael's YouTube video, and I saw his arms and his elbows do this in his freestyle. What do you think?" And you know, we'll jump on a Zoom call with him and be like, "Hey, what do you guys see? Like, is there any interesting science?" And then we'll we'll meet people and connections here and there, and and it's really cool because we can then all learn from each other and and then create a network. And so that's it is. It's one of those things where we are constantly learning, but um. Have to be careful because we also want to create routine because we understand that you know when your body and your brain is in routine you create neural pathways you create habits and that's what ultimately sets you up to succeed when it comes down to race because when you race you really can't be thinking about things and so it's hard to balance because we understand that when you're training you're thinking and you're very um, I'm not entirely sure like the science side of it in terms of what part of your brain you're using whatever but. It's not a subconscious movement yet. And so our goal is to create subconscious movements so that when we race, it just happens naturally.
0: I love that. Well, how do you... Okay, so you were very close to making the Olympic team as a young gun in 2016. How do you feel going into what is now 2021? Do you feel like you have a lot of pressure on you? Like, is there? I guess, kind of, kind of. I don't want to put words in your mouth. So, just tell me, like, how are you feeling? Or maybe how were you feeling earlier this year? Has that changed going into next year? Like, how are you kind of facing and, and dealing with the mindset going into uh, Tokyo?
1: Yeah. Well, so in March, going into it, I was on top of the world. Like, I was so confident in where we were, and. Just incredibly prepared, like the most prepared I'd ever been, and I've been doing things in training that I just like was never doing, was just very focused, happy to be grinding, and I'm back now at a place where I'm again refocused and realigned. Am I physically prepared yet? Probably not, but I don't think many people in the world are which which is comforting, but at the same time. I look at the clock and I look at the days we have to go and it's like okay now it's like it's on like it's a short time frame we know it's going to happen now regardless and so it's like make it or break it um but there is there's there's always nerves I've always been one to say that being nervous and anxious for races is a good thing because it it really just tells you you care and you are invested and that's important, but then it's making sure that you turn those nerves and those jitters into a positive and then being able to kind of still calm yourself so that when you come to race, you don't do anything rash. And that's actually just something that comes from experience. And so I've been you know, fortunate to be racing at a professional level for so many years from such a young age that I was forced to learn very quickly and learn by trial and error. And so I do, I'm I do get nervous. I am very nervous, but at the same time, I'm confident. And I think also what's really interesting is for me as an athlete, with what's happening in the swimming world and really what's happening in the world in general, just with everything politically and economically and all of this, like it's just kind of craziness. I realize none of this matters. At the end of the day, it's just swimming. And I will still be loved by my friends. I'll be loved by my family. I know God loves me for who I am. I know that he's blessed me with this gift. And if he desires for me to make the team and to win medals and do all that in his name, amen, like it'll happen. And if not, then it won't. And I still have to find a way to kind of celebrate that loss in a way. That's really interesting is having that faith knowing, okay, you know what? It's not in my hands. Of course, I'm going to work as hard as I can, but I can't really control the outcome. And if I try to control the outcome, I'm just going to end up being disappointed anyway. And so that gives me a lot of freedom to know that I just need to show up and race and let God handle the details. And that just takes a lot of pressure off of that because I don't live a, a performance based identity, but I live a purpose based identity.
0: Oh, my goodness. I love all of that. Where tell me more about your faith like when have you have you always kind of grown up with this faith or where yeah where does that come from and and how how do you walk that out in your daily life
1: One thing I can tell you is I am far from perfect I am an imperfect human I make mistakes just like everybody and so I've never really had the answers I have always kind of grown I've always grown up in a Christian household and I don't even like actually saying Christian. I really, I believe in it more as a a personal relationship with Jesus. And I believe what the Bible tells us is truth. And so I look at it as a, as a conversation where I can go to Jesus and be like, Hey, like, like, what's up? Like what's happening in life? And, (laughs) you know, there's, there's definitely times in life where, where I'm far from God. And, and those are where I, I, tend to try and grasp and control things on my own. And then I realized, oh man, like, what am I doing? Like, why am I being an idiot again? And so I'll go back and I'll be like, okay, like get in my word and read and study and, and learn and and feel like strong, powerful and then things will go well and you'll start to get comfortable and things like that. But yeah, no, so my faith has always been kind of growing from a young age, but when I was 14, it was really, that was when it was most tested as a young pro athlete, um, not really knowing what we were doing and then learning on the fly and then always having great spiritual mentors to kind of help along the path. And then by the time I was 17, it was when I really internalized and kind of made the re basically recommitted my life. And that's when I, I baptized, I got baptized again. And this was just more knowing like, okay, this is my decision and I understand why and the purpose behind it and and what I believe and what I believe that Jesus did on the cross for us um, so that we could, you know, be washed and basically have eternal life. You know, ever since then, it's been, a, of course, an up and down battle, but every day is a blessed day when you know that there's nothing we can do to control things and gives us a lot of freedom to just live and and love the people around us. But no, it is, it has, I've been a It's been a very blessed life and I'm just excited for what God's doing.
0: I love it. Well, and I love something you touched on too, that like, you know, we go through these, these obviously seasons and phases in our life. where We're really close and then we kind of like things are going well and sometimes we drift away. And don't you find that that's true? That like the closest you get to God is usually in the hardest times because you like have to be dependent on him and there's absolutely I mean one of the times I was kind of like you I, I grew up as a a believer in the church but then really had an an understanding of of how I made a mess of my life and, and kind of repented like I think of my first true act of repentance I was like 20 and really understanding that I didn't want to live my way I wanted to live the way God wanted me to live and I really like turned from my own ways and turned toward him and and I remember getting through, it was a really, really dark time that I was like, I, that I feel like I, I grasped onto him and he pulled me out of the pit, you know? And I remember being super thankful for that, but like, please minute, never make me go back through that again. Never mm-hmm. make me go through such a hard time, but I loved being dependent on him. And then as a couple of years go by, you know, you get soft and comfortable and it's like, I almost crave a hard situation because it, I loved that dependence and I loved being, you know, fully in his arms. And like, I couldn't make the decisions on my own. I had to like literally take a step of faith and trust that he was going to put solid ground under my feet. And there's, it's terrifying sometimes, but there's that beauty in that, and that relationship. I feel like that's when he does his best work in us.
1: Oh, absolutely. No, that's really, really good. Yeah. It's interesting how you, you really do have to go through the valleys in order to experience the mountaintop you know, like...
0: To appreciate the view, <laughs>
1: right? Right, 100%. And it's the same with sports, like you can't enjoy the highs without the lows because otherwise, what, what would you have? Like, it would just be the same.
0: Ah, oh, so good, so good. Well, what... Okay, so I love watching your videos on YouTube. <laughs> the kids you. and I were watching them together. Um, tell us a little bit, because you've been doing that for quite some time, haven't you, your vlogs?
1: Yeah, I have. So I... I enjoy being creative and it comes and goes in seasons. I actually posted my first vlog in, since March just the other day. And so it's one of those things that I, I love being able to tell my own story. And then because of the audience I've been blessed with, like I enjoy being able to share with them what goes on kind of behind the scenes and, and they can experience really how much fun it is to be a professional athlete. And then all the cool things that I get to do that most people will never really know or understand without either experiencing themselves or seeing it. And so I enjoy doing that. And especially too, cause in the swimming world, you really just don't, there's not a whole lot of that, that happens. So it's also a cool opportunity for me, but I'm also a bit of a nerd when it comes to tech and gadgets. So I just, <laughs> I essentially, like, I just look at making YouTube videos as playing with toys and flying <laughs> drones. Like
0: you have a drone too.
1: Oh yeah, I bring it everywhere with me. I was flying it earlier today.
0: So how many, what do you, what do you have? Like a GoPro, a Dr- Like how many little devices do you have to make your video?
1: Oh my goodness. So <laughs> I've got, I have three GoPros sitting right next to me. I have oh my God. Uh, a GoPro Max, GoPro Hero 8. I really, I'm, really, I'm excited for the Hero 9. And then I shoot most of my like talking and videos, like the more formal stuff with my Sony A7S Mark II with like a shotgun mic. And then I have a drone that kind of goes with me. It's like my third or fourth drone because I've crashed some other ones. <laughs>
0: <laughs> have you really upgrade. <laughs> what was the most epic crash?
1: Oh, it was the dumbest crash actually. It was so funny. <laughs> um, this was while we were living in Kansas, and this was one of my first drones. And it has this return to home feature, and the technology was pretty young. It was DJI is one of their newer drones, and so I uh, I was flying under a tree, flying pretty low, and then it, Lost connection to the controller. And so, what it does, like as a safety, is it will return to home and basically land where it took off. Now, it was still under the tree. It didn't know it was under a tree. And when it does the return to home, it just shoots up to like 50 meters high and then <laughs> comes back to its spot. And so, it just literally stopped. I lost control of it, didn't have time to get it back, straight up in the tree, got stuck in the branches, and then fell like 20 feet and literally bounced off the ground. And everything just got. Oh, destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was, it was kind of heartbreaking, but then I had, I had a super smart engineering friend. So I gave him the drone and he ended up fixing it and it still flies to this day.
0: <laughs> oh, that, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. That's good to have friends like that. Yeah. Well, tell me, I know you and your dad have been working on a project during this kind of, um, we'll say off season COVID yeah. off season. Um, and it's something special that you're working on. That's coming up soon. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this has been a project we've wanted to do really since I, oh man, it's been so many years now. So it's been a couple of years in the making. Um, We've always had this dream of taking what we've learned over the years and being able to educate and help others who have the same questions. And so we've always hosted clinics and swim camps and private lessons and You know, we're constantly speaking to people and messaging through Instagram and all of this and even with YouTube using the platforms. But it was really hard because we never knew how to kind of break it up and make it beneficial for everyone that's engaging with us. And so we've decided through the help of some friends and and a bit of an awesome team. And this is really the only way that this has been getting done is we've created now a subscription-based platform where people have 100% access to my dad and I and we will be hosting... On this platform, our like online courses where we'll teach our our technical side of swimming. So the technique through all the strokes, all the turns, all the starts. Um, We speak about nutrition. So like how I eat, our understanding of the ketogenic diet, what foods are good, things like that. And then conditioning. And this is a really big one. It's like on, on our methodology of training, how things have evolved over the years and then a really big one and exciting one i'm i'm really looking forward to shooting is the psychology behind sport and then especially with the with the mental health era now it's like we really understand that athletes mentally need so much more help than they do physically almost because it's just like the performance world is is so dragged down with the uh, unhealthiness that comes with having to succeed and to win at all costs type of thing and then two, being able to use this platform to continually evolve and grow. So like these will constantly be updated. And so as we as we learn and as we travel and as we race, we'll continue filming, doing webinars and communicating with our community. And so that's essentially what we're doing is we're creating a subscription platform where we can just give people everything. We We want to put absolutely everything out there because we understand that we've learned it for a reason and there's no point in hiding it so literally everything every little detail anything we learn that helps us swim faster or become a better athlete it'll be going on the subscription so we're we're pretty thrilled about it
0: oh that's awesome when when can we look forward to that kind of launching
1: yeah so we don't have a strict date set yet the goal is to have it launched before 2021 And so really in the next couple of months, we're in the finalizing stages of it. It could be quicker. It could be a couple of weeks, but we really we want to give enough time because we really want to do this excellently. Obviously, it's taken a few years for us to get (laughs) pen to paper and get this going. And so we want to make sure we we finish it well and um, are ready for it. But um, we have an incredible team working on a lot of the finer details. And I think we'll have a a landing page, a bit of a site where people can go and connect so that we can start sending them updates and get them excited about the launch. And then two, obviously through my social media platforms, people can stay tuned and be ready for all of that to come.
0: Awesome. And we'll make sure to link to those in the show notes so people can find you easy and keep on top of this membership course coming because it sounds... Awesome. I love it. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. You've been phenomenal. I could pick your brain all day, but I really appreciate your time and all of your wisdom.
1: Thank you. I'm looking forward to talking next time.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests, and it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.